A few years ago, we were having a party at our house, and um, it was one of those parties where, you know, a bunch of families are there, kids are running around, everybody's making a bunch of noise, and it was really, really fun. Um, but I remember one moment in the midst of that party, Sarah, who's our youngest, if you haven't met Sarah, Sarah is our sassy child, right? Like I always say about Sarah that, that she has more personality in her little finger than most of us have in our entire bodies, and she's itty-bitty. Right, she is just full of sass. And so um, she was in the kitchen with Jen Fountain and there were all kinds of treats. You know, when you have those potlucks and stuff, there's just, there's just all kinds of stuff that's not good for you. And of course, kids, Sierra's probably three or four at this point in time, that's all they want to eat is the stuff that's not good for you. So she's in the kitchen and she's standing next to Jen and Jen's like, honey, what, what can I get for you? And she says, well, uh, can I have, I want a piece of cake and I want some soda. And Jen goes, no, you can only have one of those. Like, you can't have both. You could just have one of those. And Sarah's like mystified. I don't understand what you're saying to me. She goes, no, like, I want cake and soda. And Jen's like, no, you can have cake or soda, but you can't have both. It's like, no, I want cake and soda. They went back and forth like this for a little while until all of a sudden my precious little three and a half year old stomped her feet and looked right up at her and goes, you are not the boss to me screamed at the top and everybody in the house was like what was that you are not the boss to me she said and so from then on whenever sarah sees jen that's kind of our funny tagline you are not the boss to me uh, that posture it's so funny it struck me this week i was thinking about this that posture is what the bible calls sin that we just look at god and we go you are not the boss to me i want to have what i want to have you know, they call it in the scriptures, this idea of being stiff-necked, that we want to be in charge. We just do. We have this self-centeredness about us that wants to be in charge. And whenever there's an authority that pushes against that, then we react to it. In fact, psychologists call this psychological reactivity or psychological reactance. Excuse me. And, it, and this is literally the definition. The cognitive bias... So it's the bias in us describing the extreme reactions human beings experience when we feel as though our freedom to make our own choices is being threatened by an external authority. <laughs> Dave's just like, mm, amen. And, and the second part of that is it's the response to a perceived threat or a, a threat to the loss of our freedom to choose. This is our posture, which kind of makes sense of the last couple of years, right? I did just go there. But we have a psychological reactance to us where basically we just want to say, you are not the boss to me. There's a part of us that rebels against authority. Anybody calling the shots in my life or in a way that affects me, my freedom or my autonomy. And when that happens, we're all three and a half years old, stomping our feet and shaking our hand. It's just hardwired into us. This is especially true if you're an eight on the Enneagram. Any, any eights on the Enneagram? There you go. It's also true if your last name is Massey, just so you know. I, I had to get that in there, Mike. I'm sorry. Uh, but all this is important, right? All this is important. This uh, psychological reactance, this whole idea of you are not the boss of me, this posture. All of that is important because of something that Jesus said, right? Now, here's what Jesus said. All authority, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So if you've been in the church for a while or if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what comes after this line, right? Therefore, go make disciples. But we kind of skip over this part where it it talks about the very nature of who God is. He is authority. He is the ultimate authority. He is the, the essence of authority. And if Jesus is being truthful, like this is a pretty important thing about who he is. Because truthfully, we like to think that all authority has been given to me. Whether I get to make my own choices or decide what has authority over us or in my life. And then along comes Jesus and says, no, no. There's a truth you need to wrestle with. All authority has been given to me. So we're in the middle of a series right now. I said earlier, called The Names of God, and we're just talking about who God has revealed himself to be, right? Through the scriptures, through his people, and then also, what does that have to say to us and about us as we learn more about who God is? Um, And so we're going to jump into the deep deep end of the pool today because one of the names of God really takes on this very sensitive topic, this idea of authority, Uh, and it jumps right into that, this This authority question is right up in front, and it is the name Adonai. I'm going to put that up there. Adonai. This name occurs thousands of times in the Bible, right? It is all through the pages of Scripture and all through the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the way it's translated in the Old Testament is Sovereign Lord. That God is sovereign and that he is Lord. That's a pretty big title. He is sovereign and he is Lord. And so that name forces us to confront our deep sense, our American sense of autonomy. It forces us to take a look at ourselves and and go, if, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is deeply true for you. He is your sovereign Lord. He is, uh, another way to state this would be that he is the God who is my authority. And I'm submitting to him. I'm I'm living under his authority, the God who is my authority. So if you're a follower of Jesus, again, this is deeply true, but it's also one of those things that I would say is just deeply true, period. Full stop, capital T, true. That's who God has revealed himself to be, that he is sovereign, that he is the authority. And there are some things in life that, that whether we acknowledge them or not, are just true. And this one, this one would be one of them. That God has the ultimate authority. He is sovereign. So we don't get to decide who he is. He tells us who he is. Our position in the universe is not at the center, even though we want to believe with everything in us that we are, and it is. He is Adonai. The Old English translation is Lord. Right? We, and we lose a lot of context for that in our day and age because we don't understand just what level of authority a Lord had back in this day. But the Lord had supreme authority, ultimate authority. What the Lord said went. It, it, there was no questioning it. You had no position in this culture in particular to question the one in authority. 
He was ultimate. He was the top of it. He is authority. And so again, when we're relating to God, our posture so often wants to just kick him out of that spot so that we can have it, so that we get to decide what's true and what's not true. But the reality is that he is completely in charge. And so what you see through the scriptures, whenever uh, the Jews would reference God, there was this deference that they had, this sort of reverent awe about who God is. And you see it, again, played out all the way through the scriptures. In the New Testament, the word Adonai, would be, it gets translated kyrios, and it just simply is translated Lord. And so it carries through the exact same meaning into the New Testament as well. But they understood there was one authority over everything who reigned above it all, as we just sang. But when you go back to the Old Testament histories, one of the things that's so cool that you see in there is you see this deference in the characters. When they're relating to God, it is in a posture of humility. It is in a posture of like, I get who you are, and therefore I'm going to react accordingly. It's, it's interesting to me that, that for the Jews in, in particular, um, the, the name for God that really captures everything that he is, the essence of his power, his might, his authority, is the word Yahweh. Or the Tetragrammaton is how they would write it, Y-H-W-H. And, and what for Jews that was such a holy, God's name was so holy, he is so powerful, he is so complete in his authority and in his power that they didn't even want to say the name. They didn't even want to pronounce it. So they had to come up with another name to sort of capture this power, this infinite greatness, this idea of God's total and complete sovereignty. And so they came up with the word, or the name, Adonai. And so that's why it's used so much within the scriptures, because whenever they were addressing, typically when they were addressing God, as God showed up in the, in the story, they would say Adonai. Now, in the scriptures, what you see also is that when they're writing about God, they'll write the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H. They'll write Yahweh, or in the Latin, Jehovah. But when they're addressing God, they always speak with this sense of awe and reverence for who he is, that he is the authority. And you see this, Genesis 15 is where the name first occurs, but in Genesis 18 is where you really see it played out. It's such an interesting story. So it's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you've heard this. It's not exactly an uplifting moment in human history, but God looks down and the people in Sodom and Gomorrah are going like, things are so bad right now. Think Ukraine on steroids. Things are so bad right now, God. People are so evil. Please, please step in and do something. So God hears his prayers and comes down from heaven and, and is walking with Abraham. And they're trying to figure out what to do about Sodom and Gomorrah. And so there's this, this beautiful picture, this relationship between God and Abraham where God comes down and says, look, I can't, I have to do something to Sodom and Gomorrah because they're so, so depraved. Right? It's like if, um, we, we always worry about the judgment of God in our culture. This is a total aside. It's not in the notes. But um, we always worry about the judgment of God. But here's what I always say to people who think, gosh, that seems so harsh. Here's the deal. When you have when somebody, let's say your daughter, your daughter, and somebody comes and does something against her, hurts her in some way, if you're a dad, what's your response? You react passionately, powerfully to protect your daughter. Why? 
because of your love for her. See, God's judgment is very much the same. It is the flip side of the coin of his love for us. And so we kind of freak out about God's judgment because we don't really understand the depth of his love for his people. So when he comes down to punish Sodom and Gomorrah, it is because the the pain and the suffering that the people are inflicting on each other has gotten to a point where God can't ignore it. Otherwise, he would not be a loving God. People are being hurt so badly that he has to show up. Again, that's just an aside, but that's one of the things that people get lost in in this story. So again, God is walking with Abram, and here's what it says. This is Genesis 18. It says, uh, the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous that I'm going to go down and see if what they've done is bad, and as bad as the outcry that has reached me. I'm going to know. And so then men that were with him turned and went towards Sodom. But Abram remained standing before, Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, Treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you, who I know you to be. You will not judge all of the earth. Will you not judge all of the earth and do right? And so the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, said, If I find 50 righteous people, because I love you, Abraham, in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then here's where you see the posture of Abraham. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to Adonai, my Lord, The NIV translates it, the Lord, but it really is my Lord. Though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you still destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, God said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of God, said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then Abram says, may the Lord not be angry with me. But let me speak. What if there's only 30 that can be found there? And they go back and forth, back and forth in this story. What if there's only 10? They finally get down to, what if there's only 10? And God says, look, if if you can find 10 people in that city who are righteous, who are not hurting each other to the point of death, then I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abram, he left, and Abram returned home. Do you see the posture there of Abram? He's like, okay, I I want to intercede on behalf of these people, but I know who God is. See, Abraham had had walked with God. He knew. He had seen miracles. He had seen God show up in power. He had seen a whole bunch of stuff that did not make sense, and he knew that God was sovereign over all of it, that really Abraham didn't have any of his own power or position in this thing other than to go to God and say, hey, I know you are the ultimate authority. You are Adonai. But if we find these people, do you see the posture of Abraham? He sees God as Adonai. He is living in deference, in total and complete deference to God's authority. And therefore, he lives in obedience because he knows who's really in charge. He lives in obedience because he knows who is really in charge. And so he says, Adonai, my Lord, my master. See, I think we struggle with this in part because we live in our day and age where 
um, you know, we live under this new covenant. And so Jesus is much more, in the context of the church, in the context of culture, is much more of a friend than he is an authority. That we tend to view God through the lens of friend versus authority, which honestly is right. Right? Jesus says to his disciples at the very end, he goes, look, I, I, I no longer call you servants. I'm actually calling you friends now because servants don't know what their master is up to. But you guys do. I'm letting you in on this. Because I'm not calling you servants anymore. You're now friends. But there's probably, if we're honest, a healthy corrective for us. We've gotten so used to God as our friend that he's almost become our cosmic buddy. And not the God of the universe. Not Adonai. And so there's really, I think, a healthy corrective. We we need to remember he is still Adonai. He is still the boss of me. When you see the disciples living in in relationship to Jesus, one of the things that's so interesting is they'll, they'll relate to Jesus and they'll say teacher or rabbi. But then they'll see God show up and do something incredible. Jesus calming a storm or showing up post-resurrection. And their response, their response is not like, oh, that's neat, Jesus, teacher. No, their response is curios, Lord, master, sovereign God. Again, Thomas is the most famous story of this where Thomas says, like, I'm not going to believe this whole thing unless Jesus comes here and I get to stick my fingers in his side and see his hands. And then Jesus goes, all right, shows up in the middle of their dinner and goes, okay, here, check it out. Do you remember what Thomas said? He said, my Lord and my God. My Lord, Kyrios, Adonai, and my God. He just breaks down in humility because he recognizes, finally recognizes who is sovereign. He's like, I get to decide what I believe. And then Jesus shows up and goes here, and he's like, okay, I I was wrong about that. You are everything that you say you are. You are the ultimate authority. So for my good and his glory as a follower of Jesus, we are called, we are called to recognize the magnitude of who God is, that he is Adonai, and we follow him. We don't invite him to do what we're doing. We look at him and go, God, what are you doing? Because that's where I want to be. That's where I want to go. So I want to live in reverent obedience, simple reverent obedience to Adonai. See, I think that's where it gets a little bit hard for us in, in our culture in particular because we've been, honestly, like living under authority is hard for us because we are psychologically reactive Living under authority is hard, but it's really where it gets hard is not when we agree with the stuff that's in this book or what God says. It's when, it, it's when we disagree or when popular opinion goes in the other direction. And we're like, okay, uh, I mean, that's where rubber meets the road and we get to decide who's really in charge here. Who's really the authority in my life? Do I believe that all authority has been given to me so then I get to decide what's true? Or do I sit under the authority of the one who is in charge and who does get to decide what's true. This is, again, is where we struggle because we go through and we go, okay, when when something that God says in here or says to us pushes against my ego or my sense of autonomy or or whatever narrative I prefer, he says, love your enemies. And I'm like, really? I mean, I'd rather blast them on Twitter. 
You know, he says, he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. And I go, okay, well, that's good as long as it doesn't make me get up off the couch. Right? He says, give radically. And we go, okay, as long as I can pay my bills. Or he says, hey, the Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. And we go, okay, yeah, 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 but you don't understand how much stuff I have to do, God. See, we ultimately think we're in charge, and we get to pick and choose the pieces that we follow. And I just wonder, where does, where does that simple obedience fit in? Where does the posture of humility fit in when it comes to you know, my sexuality, my money, my words, how I treat the people in my life? I know God says to forgive, but I'd rather just hold on to that. Like, this is our hiccup. And I would say, I, was in, you know, I thought about this, say this is the hiccup in the culture, but honestly, this is our because people outside these walls don't go, yeah, like, yeah, I follow Jesus or I'm a Christian. They're off the hook. But if you're here, there's some level to which you've gone, yeah, I want this. I want Jesus to lead. And then we're like, well, except if he goes there or there or there or there or there. But other than that, we're good, right? See, ultimately, we still think we are in authority. Am I right? Again, I'm not trying to be like all heavy-handed this morning. Like, I'm looking at myself in the mirror on this one. Because there are so many times when I've heard God say, hey, put your phone down. And I'm like, okay, just one more thing. You know, one more reel. One more. My kids do this to me all the time. Like, hey, let's go. And they're like, uh, one second, Dad. Like, no, I said now. You know, and then 15 minutes later, we're finally get, I'm out in the car, like, steaming mad. And they're in the house still putting on their shoe or getting the next snack or whatever it is. It's so frustrating. Sometimes I, I like, God's loving and all, but I wonder if sometimes he looks at me and is like, oh, come on. No, I don't think he does. Like, God is infinitely patient and kind. But, but, like, being a parent, we kind of get this whole obedience and authority thing maybe a little bit better when we are parents because we go to our kids, like, I, I, I want and I am called to be the authority of my kid's life. And so when I say, hey, let's go do something, you know, their posture, if they're like, you are not the boss to me, it doesn't go over very well. When I was, um, when I was a kid, there were things that, um, that I swore that I would, my parents did or said to me that I swore, I mean, I swore that I would never do to my kids, right? We, we all make this, if you're a parent, you know, you make this agreement, like you, you know that that just, you, that was so bad and I'm not gonna do that to my kids. Peas. I will never, ever, ever make my kids eat peas, okay? I hope my brother's watching this because my brother was, you know, my twin brother, my dad would make us eat peas and he would sit at the table for two hours with half of a bowl of peas in front of him because he was, my, you know, not the boss to me. So anyway, peas, I'll never make my kids eat peas. But the other thing that, uh, that really, uh, that I swore I would never, ever uh, do to my kids is I would never use the words because I said so. And to be honest, I did pretty good for a while, right? Until they started to speak. 
who I swore I would never say because I said so. I just, it was like, oh, I hated that when I was a kid. I wanted to know why. And so for, honestly, for Lucas and Tessa, it was, they were like, okay, dad, you know, they'd go along with it. Connor and Sarah come along and it's like, oh, it is on, you know? Connor is just that kid that wants to know why. Like, why dad, why dad? I'm like, Connor, let's go. And he'd be like, why? Because we're going to the gym. He goes, why? Because I, I want to go to the gym and work out. Why? So I can keep up with you. Why? Because you do a lot of stuff. <laughs> on and on and on. Like, you know, okay, just get going. Why? Because we're leaving. Why? Finally, I'm just like, because I said so. <laughs> Comes out of my mouth and I'm like, oh, no, I'm my father. Because I said so. Like sometimes as a dad, I will explain all day long what's going on, but sometimes, sometimes I just need my kids to do what I say because I said so, because I know better, because I see things that they don't, because there are other schedules that need to be kept and other priorities that we need to honor. Because I said so needs to be enough. And I hope my kids trust me enough to live in sort of a simple obedience and a posture following my lead. So I think for us, it's really true, especially when it comes to this book. We, we read what's in here, and, and we have been trained, we have been trained in our culture in what is called higher criticism. It's where we critique the things that come to us. We do this in literature all the time. We look at books and things that are written in the past, and we're like taking them apart and analyzing them. What's the story? What's the theory? And so what happens is we sort of, we sort of sit in authority in criticism of what's in here, or of what God says. We sit over it. When in truth, like what's in this book was given to us for our good. And it was given to us from the one who created life, who is in authority. He was Adonai. And so my job as a follower of Jesus, especially if you are a follower of Jesus, is not, not to look at this book from a critical angle, but, but to go, what is this book saying to me in my life? See, I sit under its authority. I try to organize my life according to what is in here and not organize what's in here according to my life. Again, we've been trained in that, but, but every time you see Jesus interacting with his disciples, this is what you see is they're learning this posture of simple obedience. They're learning to sit under the authority of the master and to do what he says. And it's so interesting to me, um, when you read those stories through, you can see what happens, the change that happens in the disciples as they recognize the glory of God, the sovereignty of God, that he is Adonai. And they no longer have the right to say, you are not the boss to me. Luke 5 is a great, this is one of my favorite verses for this or passages for this, but it's in a, a section of the book where Jesus shows up on the scene and he's already known a little bit to the disciples. So he shows up on the shoreline. They've just come in from a long night of fishing. Peter and all of his buddies are in there. And so the boats are coming up on the shore. So Jesus has been teaching on the shore and he's like, oh, okay, hold on. Hey, I'm going to get in your boat. Is that all right? And they're like, yeah, sure. So they, he jumps in the boat. He sits down and he starts to teach them because sound carries a little bit better over the water. So he's sitting in the boat, and he's teaching them. And he gets to a point, and you have to think that it was something poignant in the story that he's telling, or in the, in the teaching that Jesus is giving about either obedience or what God's heart is for people, that he wants to bless them and wants to bring them to a place of abundance. 
And, and so he's sitting there and teaching. He turns to Peter, who has been out teaching all, or fishing all night and hasn't caught a thing. He turns to Peter and he goes, hey, I want you to turn around and set out towards deep water. Here's, here's what it says. It picks up in Luke 5. When, they had fin- when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled the boat so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. Lord, Kyrios, Adonai. Go away from me, Adonai. I am a sinful man. He glimpsed. This is a man who was in touch with the water, with the fish. He hadn't caught a thing. And he looks at Jesus and he goes, you are Adonai. You are my authority. You can control even the fish in this lake. Therefore, I'm a sinful man. It's interesting that in that passage, when he says master at the very beginning, it's a different word in the Greek. It's sort of a socially accepted idea of someone who, you know, has a little bit of weight. Master. Leader. So he does it because he said so. But then on the backside, even deeper, he says, Kyrios, Adonai. My God, my authority, sovereign Lord. last few months that just that term simple obedience has just been rolling around in my heart and in my soul because I think that's the invitation for us just simple obedience that's what happens when God wants you to pay attention that's the invitation it's it's when I think about it it's who I want to be I want my faith to be so strong that when God says go left I just go left. I don't ask why. I just go left. I want my relationship with God to be deep enough that I will simply say, like Peter did here, I I don't get it. I don't know what you're up to, God. But because you said so, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this. I'm going to believe. I think as followers of Jesus, we, we... Parent analogy is so beautiful because sometimes God explains why. Sometimes he gives us the details. But sometimes he just says, because I said so. But if we understand who he is, who he really is, then that's enough. So as you're sitting here this morning, Here's the question. How is your simple obedience to the things that you already know God has told you to do? How's your simple obedience? Do you believe that all authority has been given to you or to Jesus? 
How's that wrestling match going in your heart, in your mind, in your calendar, in your checkbook? There's another flip side of that coin if we ask the question, what's keeping you from simple obedience? What's keeping you from doing the thing that you already know God has said to do? Because chances are, that thing that's keeping you from doing it is what actually has authority in your life. This, this invitation that Jesus gives us to follow him, to walk with him, to, to move as he moves, to go to the places that he goes, that journey is one where we're always wrestling with this question. Where we're saying, okay, I, I want to move in simple obedience, Lord, give me the faith to do that. Help me to step out into deeper water. Help me to put down the nets on the other side of the boat. Because here's what we believe around here, that Jesus is always calling us to go to deeper water. Always. Because he wants to build in us the kind of faith that doesn't say, you're not the boss of me, but one instead, who says, you are Adonai. And I will go because you said so. So I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me as we're moving into the rest of the morning here. And, and I want us just to practice a posture. One that acknowledges who God is. And then even as I was talking, if you had some things in your heart, in your mind, that you're like, mm, I know God has said I need to just obey in this one area. The posture is one of surrender, of humility. And so if you would, as I pray, I want you to just hold out your hands. And whatever that thing is that's keeping you from living in simple obedience, I, I want you to just, in your mind's eye, go here. God, I'm giving this to you. Our tendency is to, to put our hands around it and close our fists. The journey of the follower of Jesus is just to hold our hands open and say, God, it is all yours because you are Adonai. So Jesus, whatever those things are in our lives, we just hold them out to you. Because we believe, God, that you are pursuing us, that when you tell us to go to the left or to the right, it is for our good and your glory. And that because you say so, it is enough. We know that you are forgiving and gracious. We don't have to grovel in this. Instead, we just get to practice giving you more and more of our lives in a simple obedience to our Father. So Lord, to the best of our ability today, we give you these things. Jesus, we invite you to be our Adonai. I invite you to be my Adonai. And I'm excited to see where you lead in that. I pray all this in the name of Jesus.